The mind by nature is radiant and pure, the Buddha said. It is because of physical forces known as torments that we suffer. It is because of visiting forces known as the torments that we suffer. The word torment is quite strong, but it accurately conveys the meaning of the word, the Pali word, kalesa, because kalesa means torment. And so when we are tormented, when our mind is visited by one of these states of mind, we feel tormented. We're bothered, we're upset, we're distressed. And I'm sure you've seen that today. So if all of your distress today, whatever it was, frustration, disappointment, judging, sleepiness, illness, restlessness, anxiety, panic, <laughs> whatever it might have been, was caused by a visitor to the mind. It's just a visitor to the mind. If we could believe that and practice with that possibility in our mind, we might practice differently. We might practice effectively. We might come to understand these visitors to the mind. Because as Saito Utejaniya says, it is not you who removes these torments. Wisdom does that job. So he's clearly pointing to the fact that it's not because there's something wrong with us or we, we've got to somehow get rid of these tormented states of mind, but rather if awareness can attend to them and understand them correctly, it is that wisdom which removes these torments from the mind. Our task is to be aware as continuously as possible. And to the extent that we do, we will come to understand the nature of these torments. And when we do, they no longer bother us in quite the same way. So tonight I want to speak about how we can reveal these torments to ourselves so that we can practice effectively with them. Now, when I talk about these torments, what I'm really talking about are these habitual, reactive uh, habits of mind uh, that we act out with uh, behavior and speaking, but they're deeply rooted in beliefs and assumptions and ideas that we have about ourselves and the way of dealing with the world, the conditions of our life. But actually, these torments are dysfunctional strategies for dealing with the challenges of life because they actually cause us to suffer. These habits of mind, these visitors to the mind, are always accompanied by some form of ignorance or delusion, which clearly indicates that there's not much awareness there. But, nevertheless, when ignorance or delusion is present in the mind, we, the mind is vulnerable to any of these uh, visitors. Now, when I say that they're rooted in ignorance or delusion, you remember 
earlier today somewhere, doing the best you could, trying sincerely to be attentive and to remember to recognize the present moment, the mind still heads off in a train of thought, and while it's thinking this train of thought, you don't know it. You don't know it's thinking. You don't know what it's thinking about. You don't know why it's thinking about it. You don't know if you're if you like it or not, or how you feel about what you're thinking. You don't know anything. You don't know what posture you're in. You don't know your age. You don't know the time of day. You don't know your gender. You don't know your name. You don't know anything. Can we be more deluded? Can we be more ignorant of what's going on in life than that? Really? That is being just absent, basically absent from life. Life goes on, but we're not there for it. So this kind of ignorance obscures the object, meaning we don't see the present moment. <laughs> this ignorance so confuses the mind, so deludes the mind, so puts a smoke screen in the mind that we don't recognize the present moment at all. But the interesting thing that you will have noticed is that sometime after a train of thought like that, when awareness returns, sometimes we can remember everything we just thought about. Right? Sometimes you can remember, oh yeah, I was just thinking about that, 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 and that. But at the time you were thinking about it, you didn't know that. So what's going on there? Well, of course, the mind is, has tremendous amount of capacity. It can do all kinds of things, which is just like that. It can think. We don't know it, but we can remember it. Figure that out. But sometimes we actually see the present moment's experience. We see what's going on. We, we, we are remember to recognize it, even. But we misunderstand. We don't, we don't understand what we see Correctly. And so we're confused. We attribute significance and value and meaning to what we're experiencing or what we're, what we're noticing that that experience doesn't warrant. But we pile on our beliefs and assumptions about it. And so we misunderstand the object. For example, you know... You know when you're going to plan a holiday? You know, you've got a vacation coming up, you're going to plan a holiday, and, you know, usually we get kind of excited. We have a lot of attachment, we have a lot of excitement in the mind, and when we are excited and have a lot of desire to make the plans for that holiday, all we see is how good it's going to be. It's going to be, you know, we're going to go here, we're going to do this, it's going to be so much fun, we did it last time, and yeah, yeah, yeah. And later, <laughs> the mind, being visited by aversion, looks at that same plans for the holiday and says, yeah, but what if it rains and it's going to be pretty expensive. I don't know if we can afford it. It's a long drive and, I don't know, the kids are going to be this way and maybe they're not going to be there. <laughs> and when aversion enters the mind, all we see is the unpleasant characteristics of what we're looking at. And when desire and excitement is there, all we see is the pleasant aspects. And this is looking at the same thing, the plans for the holiday. 
So we have to see that, you know, the plans for the holiday are just plans for the holiday. How we view that is due to the visitors of the mind. If there's a lot of desire, it looks great. If there's a lot of aversion, it looks like trouble. So when these visitors arrive in the mind, they are always accompanied by restlessness. Restlessness is this mind just kind of thinking, 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 thinking. Whether you know what you're thinking about or not, whether you want to think it or not, you're still thinking, 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 thinking. And often the thinking is some form of self-narrative. It's a story of my life. You know, you don't make plans for other, other people's holidays. You make plans for your holiday. You know, and so when we get lost in these thoughts, you know, we're always kind of ruminating about something about ourselves, how it was, how it will be, how we hope it will be. And this is restlessness. The fuel for this kind of um, wandering narrative. So we have delusion or ignorance, the root of these visitors. We have restlessness, the fuel for them. And we have these flavors, aversion and attachment. Now, let's face it. These habits of mind are really common, really familiar. We get entangled in them a lot. You know, we, 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 we succumb to irritation, anger, rage, you know, distaste, and kind of impatience, some form of aversion, frequently. Or we get caught up in wanting, yearning, longing, hoping for, scheming, strategizing to get what we want. They are so common and so habitual and so frequent visitors to the mind that we kind of assume that's the way we are. You know, in my case, you know, I, I, I often say I wasn't born with a patience gene. It, it, doesn't, it doesn't arise in my mind. My, my, my default strategy for dealing with everything, not everything, but most things, is impatience. You know, as if... Now it has arisen so often, and I've been caught in it so, so frequently... I, I think, well, you know, I, I'm impatient. Not only am I impatient, I'm always impatient. Not only am I always impatient, I'm an impatient person. And when we get, and we kind of slide down that slippery slope of, you know, I'm depressed. I'm a depressed person. I'm a depressed person. Once we get that belief in our mind, it's almost impossible to get out. Because every time depression rises in the mind or impatience rises in the mind again, it affirms what we've known and believe. I'm an impatient person. I'm a depressed person. And yet, this is the challenge that we're faced with. Because, well, we're not. A this is, these are just visitors to the mind. They're frequent visitors. They think they own the place. <laughs> they've, they've moved in for an extended stay at times. But still, they're, they're just visitors. Now, if they just visited and left, no problem. But they don't. 
while they're present and even having an enduring effect, they obstruct living our life fully. Because when they arise, we just aren't open to the full experience of life. Take fear, for example. Fear is a visitor to the mind. When it arises, we are somewhat paralyzed, stunned, just kind of on hold, not going forward, not, you know, kind of backing off from whatever it is that's causing the fear. And so we don't go there. Now just, just, just think, just reflect a little bit on how much fear has controlled your life. How many things you haven't done, haven't taken the opportunity to do because of fear. Fear of failure, fear of uh, social exposure, fear of making a mistake, fear of being criticized, fear of failure. And so we don't even try. We just go, no, I don't, I, I don't feel that, I don't feel that. And we go through life like that, and before too long, we're living in a very narrowed, small, tight little box of things that we feel safe with. And we don't even attempt to get outside of it because of fear. We believe our fear. We buy into fear. It owns us, you could say. But not only that, it, uh, these visitors to the mind hinder our progress in practice. Take doubt. Doubt is a really a tricky uh, state of mind. It's very difficult to see. And it manifests in the mind something like, I wonder if I'm doing this right. Why isn't this working for me? Uh, now what do I do? You know, some experience comes up in the meditation. Now what do I do? Do they know, do they know what they're talking about? I heard them in say, blah, blah, blah. I, I, I don't know if that's so. You know, and, and because of these kind of, you know, kind of the, the sideline commentator, the spin commentator in our minds, we feel doubtful about ourselves, we feel doubtful about the teaching, we feel doubtful about the teacher sometimes, we feel doubtful about, is this path really taking me where I want to go? Sometimes people get the idea that, you know, to come on a retreat like this and practice like this is really selfish. Because you're just kind of navel-gazing and just kind of being kind of narcissistically involved with yourself. Really? Sometimes it's, it looks like that. And we even might have that idea of like, gosh, I, I could be out there doing something more productive or more effective or more meaningful for other people. And when we have that kind of questioning in our mind, we stop practice waiting until we arrive at the right answer before we continue practice. And you can't, you can't think your way out of doubt. You, you can't think it out. You can only practice to, to get through that. You can borrow someone else's confidence. You can, you can talk to us or read a book or listen to some other teachers. And they can inspire, re-inspire you to practice and you can continue practice. But on your own, if you're just trying to think about it, think it out, figure it out, Paralyzed, not actually practicing at that time. So in this way, because they obstruct living our the fullness of our life and hinder our practice, 
they prevent us from finding this true uh, ease, peace, sense of well-being in life. They keep tormenting us. Sairo Pandita says it's like a long-running hallucination has taken over the mind. However, these um, unconscious habits of mind are not wrong. They're not uh, a mistake. They arise due to causes and conditions, lawfully arise due to causes and conditions. Therefore, they are part of the Dharma. When they arise, they are the way things have come to be due to causes and conditions. And it's not a mis- they're never a mistake. It's not, a, it's not wrong that they arise. We might not understand why they arise, and we think, well, this shouldn't be happening. But actually, that's only because we don't yet understand them. We don't understand their nature. We don't understand the causes and conditions that give rise to them. So because they are a natural phenomena arising due to causes and conditions, they aren't really an obstacle to practice. Actually, they're an opportunity to become aware of what we are not yet able to be aware of, and to understand them in a way that we do not yet understand ourselves, our own behavior. So as an opportunity, not an obstacle, they are arrested by mindfulness. They're replaced by wholesome activities of the mind. They're known through awareness and they're understood by wisdom. Now we should understand that these torments of the mind They're mental. They're not physical aches and pains. They're mental. They are uh, states of mind that arise, that visit the mind. But when they do, they often condition unpleasant phenomena in the body. You know, when we're angry and tight and contracted or, you know, caught up in desire and we're just kind of, you know, kind of outside of ourselves. It can be very unpleasant. So we say that the unpleasantness of the body is conditioned by the visitor to the mind. It also conditions unpleasantness in the mind. We get irritated and and kind of judgmental and we get kind of peevish and we just kind of feel beside ourselves. Unpleasantness of the mind. But we should understand that these are visitors to the mind that condition the unpleasantness in the body and mind. You know, last night I mentioned how <clears throat> the Buddha's uh, Noble Eightfold Path is really three trainings. A training in sila, purifying your speech and behavior. <clears throat> the, the training in samadhi, or continuity of mindfulness, to purify your mind. And the practice and the training in vipassana, to purify your understanding. Well, it is purifying the mind, purifying our speech and behavior of these torments, purifying our mind of these torments, purifying our understanding of these torments. That's what we're talking about. Several years ago, I was, I had a ticket to fly from Bangkok to one of the islands down south, Koh Samoy or someplace. And I got to the ticket counter, and I had my ticket right there, flying on this day, at this time, this flight. 
And I showed it to the ticket agent, and they said, Oh, yes, 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 yes. Oh, you didn't call yesterday to confirm that you'd fly today, so you're, you're no, you no longer have a seat. <laughs> I go, I have a ticket. I, I, that's my seat. <laughs> I want that seat. And I was not very polite. I was insistent. I had some aversion in my mind that I was expressing physically and verbally. I didn't hit her. I don't know. But I mean, I, I let her know that I was very displeased. And I was just... After which, she looked at me quite calmly and said, that's not nice. <laughs> it was a real... Um, not everybody is manipulated by fear. But it's something to, to look at in herself. When someone gets angry at us, or, you know, lays a heavy trip on us, do, are we paralyzed by fear? Have we taken on their stuff? Or can we clearly see, wow, this person is really... And maintain your own center. That's why we practice. Right speech, you know, trying to speak and act correctly so that we don't act out these uh, visitors to the mind. One time when I was a monk also, I wasn't acting it out, but I was doing walking practice. I was a year or two into my monkhood and I was doing practice like this. 24-7, 365, 20 hours a day. Okay, so somewhere in a couple, second year maybe, I remember I was walking on the backside of the little dormitory where I was, cottage where I was staying, and I saw something in my mind that I hadn't seen before. I go, wow, what's that? You know? And I'd walk again, and I'd go, hmm. I'd say, huh, what's that? Something I, I didn't know. So I started paying attention to this state of mind. Something would come over the mind, and I would collapse. You know, the mind would just collapse. Hmm. And I'd go, what, why, what happened? So I'm walking, you know, and I'm, you know, after a year of practice, you got some momentum. <laughs> <laughs> So I started noticing that there was this little whiff, this little assumption, not even a, not even a loud sentence or thought in the mind, just this little assumption. Oh, poor me. I can't do this. This is too hard. This is, I'm too old. Uh, I'm too stupid. I started too late. I did too many drugs. No, I didn't do enough drugs. <laughs> the, mind, the mind has all kinds of Oh, poor me. In it. You know, whatever it is you try to do, and you go, oh, poor me. This is self-pity. Well, I never saw self-pity before. But my, my mind actually kept, kept it hidden from me. You know, it's just the strength of my own personality. It's like, I can do anything. But really, underneath it all was this kind of latent... Self-pity that just waiting for the right opportunity to arise. So when we practice mindfulness, and you know, a lot of a lot of what you're mindful of today is the most ordinary, recurring, mundane, nothing special events. 
breathing in, breathing out, stepping, reaching for a doorknob, turning to look at something. I mean, how ordinary and mundane is that? But when we train awareness, train mindfulness on these very benign, common, ordinary experiences, and the momentum of mindfulness grows with the continuity of attending, remembering to recognize them, then when these adventitious visitors visit the mind that you haven't seen before, you'll see them. You'll recognize them. In this way, we expose habits of mind that we don't know we have because the continuity of mindfulness is strong. It's, it's continuous and therefore strong. It sees everything, even what you haven't recognized before. So that's why we practice awareness and that's why it's important to begin to understand these visitors to the mind so that we can uh, see them, we can reveal them to ourselves. Then we can work with them. <laughs>